Hey, Kelly, we're back outside. Ooh. Remember when we were outside for our music video month? Yeah. Well, it's just so... I mean, it's been the greatest summer here in Oregon. It's been so nice. Yeah, so mild Not 100 degree days, which you cannot say about the rest of the country. No. But we thought we would come out here early in the morning. Birds are singing. You could hopefully hear them. And, and gentle whooshing of the traffic. The gentle whooshing of traffic. <laughs> and, you know, same dogs as before, all the same stuff. But we're here to talk about something that I'm sure you had never heard of. No. Um, I wasn't aware of it until the Bob Dylan connection. And I wasn't even sure if it was still going on. It still is going on. What am I talking about, Kelly? I don't know. I'm, I'm talking curious. about the Isle of Wight Festival. Okay, so it is a festival. It is a festival. Okay. So it started in 1968. We're going to be talking about Bob Dylan's performance in 1969. 1970 was the apex. There were talks of there being more than 700,000 people. Holy One of the shit. biggest events in human history. Now, the promoters say... That's crazy. It's probably half that number, but still 300,000, even if that's a conservative number, a lot of people. Wasn't the biggest one that like Live Aid or Farm Aid or something? God, I mean, I don't in even know. In the late 80s, well, like Queen was... did their like one of their last performances at or something? Well, in the Rolling Stones, I think they did a show in like Sao Paulo in Brazil and it was like, God, it had to have been a million people. I mean, I, I, I don't think this is the biggest by any yeah. means, but like for a small island community, it was right after the 1970 or 71 show that they said that groupings of more than 5,000 people have to be uh, registered with the county. So like it pretty much, it stopped the festival until 2002. Hmm. So it was done all through for about you know 25 years or so. And they brought it back. And then they brought it back a lot smaller, but it is still going on. It's going on this, this year as well. It, it, it happened in June this hmm. year. Uh, it gets about 60,000 people every year. So it's, you know, it's an average size festival and has normal people that you would expect at festivals. Right. Uh, but we are here today to not talk about a normal Person or a normal event, <laughs> really. So we are here today to talk about Isle of Wight. Could everybody, everybody, everybody please sit down? And in return, people, welcome onto the stage the band and Bob Dylan. It's it's notable because this is Bob Dylan's first paid performance after his motorcycle accident. So he, you know, obviously had been doing the basement tapes and everything in, in the in between, but he had never performed out or been in public. People didn't think it would ever happen again. So when they heard that Bob Dylan was going to be doing this, he actually left the day that Woodstock started in his backyard and went over to Isle of Wight. I mean, which what is a incredible. move! Like incredible on brand. Love it, and uh, and everybody flocked. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people went to Woodstock because it did happen the 10 days before or so I think yeah August 15th and this was like at the end of August obviously the end of August and lots of people that were there um, not only the bands performing like the who performed that day as well but also we had some Beatles in attendance you know you had people who were wanting to see what Bob Dylan was going to bring wait so the Beatles were there but not playing no of course not well, the Beatles were almost broken up at this point I mean oh, 1970 yeah, right yeah yeah so this oh. was this was this was the tail end of of the Beatles themselves. Um, so we're not going to go super deep into the festival or anything. There's really no reason to do it. But when we think about 1969, I think about, we. I'm sure we think about the end of the 60s. We think about the dream, the hippie dream being dead. It wouldn't be <laughs> long until the Rolling Stones performed at Alamont and 
the fan was stabbed to death by the Hell's Angels. What? And that was pretty much that was one of the, those big events. I feel like we're doing a lot culture. of assumed knowledge here. No, those are those are huge events in rock. Music. I don't know what you're talking about. We're splitting, man. If those cats don't stop beating everybody up inside, I want them out of the way, man. I don't like you. Hey, people. Hey, people. Come on, let's be cool. People, please. There's no reason to hassle anybody. Please don't be mad at Yeah, I mean, you get two years beyond the summer of love, and then it's it's okay. chaos and violence, and the 70s are a bleak time. And... Yeah. Yeah, so we're we're at a pretty um, important moment in in American history and world history, especially Western world history, musical history as well. A lot of things changed after that, and we're sitting in a summer of 1969 with so many concerts, concerts I had never really heard about. Everyone's heard of Woodstock, of sure, course, right? Yeah, and Woodstock took place on the 15th through 18th of August. Isle of Wight took place on the 29th through the 31st of August. Um, so we're going to be talking about Bob Dylan today in a moment. But there were also little concerts. The Denver Pop Festival, the Newport Jazz Festival in July, Atlanta Pop Festival, which I think had Led Zeppelin there right before they got big. Because they, I mean, you think about a dominant force of the 70s. Their first record was 1969. You know, they were right there at the end. Right. And they really were the sound of what was to come for at least the next couple of years. Sure. Black Sabbath were about to start too. Uh, the Texas Inner Pop Festival was right after Isle of Wight. The Toronto Rock and Roll Revival, September 13th. There's a lot of shows that existed in this time frame, but I think for the most part, we just think of Woodstock. And like we just assume everyone was there because of the same blinders we have to the Rolling Stones. I think we just think the Stones were there. The Beatles surely were there. Bob Dylan was, of course, there. Mm-hmm. No. Not there. None. And even something like Jimi Hendrix. Jimi Hendrix, you would think Jimi Hendrix would have played... Right, he would have been the last performer, right? Because in our head, he's the biggest performer. He was the last performer. But do you know what time he played? 10 a.m. in the morning. At the very end, people were already leaving. His set, because the show went into the night, they just played right, for yeah. three days in a row. God. He's playing a Star Spangled Banner at, you know, like 10 o'clock in the morning. That that final thing. And they were like, this performance is for the ages, and people were already gone. Damn. You know, trying to go, got to go back home. They got to go live their lives or do whatever they want. And those are like those fun moments of, of like Woodstock that get told over and over and over again because everyone knows everything about this. But Isle of Wight is one that's been shrouded in mystery for me. And I think for any casual fan listening to Bob Dylan, it's a weird it's a weird event. It's, it's got the weird country voice. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, what's going on here? 1969. What's why wasn't he at Woodstock? Vroom, vroom. <laughs> here come the hippies, the advance guard of an invasion force expected to number between one and two hundred thousand from all over Britain and the continent. So Kelly, to not labor on with the other stuff, or to talk about Woodstock, which has been cancelled now. Oh, uh, officially. Officially. So it would have been taking place in time. We are recording this a little bit earlier than the 29th of August, obviously, because we can't just put on an episode like that. Yeah. Uh, but it has been officially cancelled, so Meriwether Post Pavilion was going to put it on. No longer. They were going to give away tickets for free. Like, Whoa. they gave all the money back to all the performers, and like, I just think no one was going to show up. Logistical yeah. nightmare. It's too soon. You know, who's going to just like randomly be like, yeah, I want to go to fucking Woodstock? Like, that's yeah. random. And I think Woodstock just, uh, the ringer is doing like an exhaustive um, podcast on, actually, not exhaustive. There is someone else doing an, an exhaustive podcast on the 1999. Um, the second Woodstock, the third Woodstock. Well, yeah, but like oh, the second new one, right? Yeah, because yeah, ninety four was a big yeah. one. I think that there had actually been smaller ones before too, but I think we think about it as sixty nine, ninety four, ninety four, and ninety nine, right. and it would have been 
19, but not anymore. So that is done. Yeah. But yeah, 94 was pretty tame. It was like Lollapalooza light. But 99 was really like... And I think The Ringer is doing like an eight-part documentary kind of coming at this was like the beginning of the era that we know now. Mm. These aggressive, shitty bands and shitty people and um, feeding into this white male violence yeah. that we see today. Like you look at that, you look at the people promoting it and what type of shit was going on then. The bands and the way that they acted, the way that they had impunity from anything mm-hmm. uh, is just a, a, a portends to today. Yeah. And I think that's an interesting take and I think that's absolutely correct. Well, that'd be fascinating to listen to. Yeah. Uh, too bad you have to pay money on Luminary to listen to it. Oh. The Netflix of podcasts. Fuck Luminary. <laughs> just gonna say We're it. here fuck. to say fuck Luminary. Yeah. Anyways, Kelly, to get back onto the Isle of Wight train, uh, I want to know what you think about it. So this is kind of random. We've only heard one song from Nashville Skyline. How was your How was your time with Isle of Wight? I we've only listened to two of the songs too have been on our podcast, so these are pretty much new. unknowns to you. Yeah. So I wish we were recording this yesterday because on Saturdays, not to you know break the fourth wall but this is a sunday that we were recording and we have a little farmer's market outside of our house on saturdays and they usually have bands yesterday was calypso though so it wouldn't really work but anyway all i could think of when i was listening to this album is that it sounds like a band that would play at the farmer's market so i don't mean that in a negative way necessarily because i think there's a lot of you know if you can play your instruments well and you sound good there's a lot of merit to that, and I appreciate that. I appreciate anyone that can do live music well. Do you know who the band? Do you know who's playing? His yeah, it's the band. Oh, yeah, it's the band. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> but that's all I can think. Okay, this is this. These are the most positive things I can say about this album. The songs are mercifully short, with the exception of like a Rolling Stone. Everything seems to be under four minutes. I'm into it. I love it. Yeah. The band sounds great. Garth Hudson, National Treasure. Mm. Fantastic. International. A lot of really good organ work. Yeah. Bob's voice is the weird Nashville Skyline voice, but I don't hate it. And I think that's part of the reason why it's giving me that vibe of a cover band. Yeah, sure, sure. Because it doesn't sound like him. I'm not familiar with any of the songs. And it's just all fine. Yeah. That's all I can say. It's fine. There are people who know how to play the instruments well that are singing their songs proficiently. I'm not super into almost any of them. And that's it. Like, that's all I could think. I was just like, this is a bunch of dads getting together with their friends. <laughs> playing some songs in front of 150,000 people yeah. as normal normally happens yeah and that's 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 how i felt about it well i think that's another thing just to go back to that idea of like there's 150,000 people which is fucking wild <laughs> and it, it's really hard for me to still grasp that even as a bob dylan fan and knowing how important he is and how big he is it's bizarre it wasn't just them, though. There, there were other bands yeah, there. Was there was The Who and stuff like that. But, I mean, people came for Bob Dylan. People traveled far and wide. To see Bob. Because they this didn't is his first think one, he, he said, would right? perform again. Yeah. Right, yeah. Okay. Yeah, because he had the motorcycle accident. He was never coming back. And he yeah. wasn't. He was gone for a while. You know, he did John Wesley Harding and, like, he was, like, around. Like, and, some, and we've got some John Wesley Harding on here. we got Nashville Skyline. Like, he's still putting out records, but he never toured on them. He never did anything like that. He clearly had changed his direction. So what was this going to be? Mm-hmm. And I think for anybody, I would be, if I had the availability to, if I had the ability to go there, I would definitely have gone. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I don't know, the, the staying power of music and like what it is to be a real fan of something where bands can dis- disappear for 10 years and come back and still sell it. Like, I mean, when we saw Postal Service after they oh, yeah. had been, you know, they made the one album in 2003 and then went on tour in 2013 and they sold out the biggest arena in Portland, you know, and yeah. like, 
that was cool to be able to see that. And of course, it's like, yes, of fucking course I'm going. Well, they, and, and people, and this is built on nostalgia too. It's like, especially that really quick nostalgia of like, you think it might never happen again. Mm-hmm. So this might be the only time he ever comes out and surely he'll play like a Rolling Stone, he'll play some of the hits, but he, he I love this set list because it's filled with a couple of hits. Mm-hmm. Those to me are the ones that he sounds the most bored playing. <laughs> I just don't think he really wants to, but he sure. kind of has to. And then he's playing stuff from John Wesley Harding and stuff from Nashville Skyline, which are the best moments because the music suits the song. And I think that it's a success on that front. Um, so I don't know. Did you have any like favorite songs? I mean, we could just kind of run through them if you yeah. had any like notes or anything like that. I mean, I don't have anything too specific because my feelings were basically the same. The songs that are just him and a guitar, which is like Mr. Tambourine Man. And, sure. Um, which was sure. That was a quick one. Yeah. I loved it. I, I loved um, the that two Ramona song that must be on. Yeah. That's on another side of Bob Dylan. I think that him and a guitar, while he does kind of sound bored, it, they're also really beautiful. And, those, and I think that like, he has to, like you said, like, right. Mm-hmm. The people are coming these these are the people Isle of Wight's in England, right? In England, yeah. yeah. So just an island. So these are the people that were real mad that he like took off from being a little folk singer. So I'm sure that they were just like, This is my shit. This is what I came oh, here for. Maybe, yeah. And I guess music had changed a lot at that point, but I'm sure that they probably said if they were really into that and maybe not into the rest, they were even if they grudgingly liked it, I'm sure that they liked him going into the John Wesley Harding direction. Mm. You know, because again, country rock that you know, people say that he invented the genre, right? It wasn't that wasn't the way things sounded then. He was part of that movement as well. So, like, mm. I'm sure that music, it didn't have kind of the 50-year baggage that it has now where you like or don't like or you hear a certain twang or a tune right. and you're like, I don't really want to be a part of this. That was all, like, new. And I'm sure it was closer to folk music than it was to outright rock and roll, right? So yeah. I'm sure that, yeah, purists were probably like, I love this. This is great. <laughs> so I guess if, like, just standout songs, I really, really enjoyed the interpretation of Like Rolling Stone. I thought okay. that was... They changed it enough where even the crowd did not recognize it for a long time until they until they started seeing the lyrics. And they're like, oh, it's like a Rolling Stone, which I, I love when artists can do that. And Bob Dylan constantly reinvents his songs. Oh, yeah. So. They, well, these are all mighty different. And uh, yeah, this one, I like that it didn't close out the show either. I mean, that's mm-hmm. obviously a showstopper. That's what you want to hear last in a way. But I love that he follows that with I'll Be Your Baby Tonight off of uh, John Wesley Harding. So I, I like that he didn't do it. Yeah. And he kept going. Yeah. So the, of the songs that we've actually done before, like a Rolling Stone was one for me, he sounded really bored doing like a Rolling Stone. It was way too long. And then the other one that we have done individually, uh, episode 25, I dreamed I saw St. Augustine, which is a strange, I don't know if we, we might've listened to this on I don't the remember, pod, but I don't remember. Because I like this interpretation better than the actual song. Yeah. It's very dirge-like. It's like slow and like got some plodding drums. Well, I guess what the band did in 1969, you know, they they were doing, uh, you know, the night they drove all Dixie down and stuff. You know, they've got their dirgy, you know, drums and you've got Levon, who the band, I wish I heard more from them. Oh, yeah. Levon is screaming on I'll Be Your Baby Tonight. Like he's trading barbs with oh, yeah. Bob no, Dylan. No, you don't. Yeah, there's like a, a callback. And I loved it. Like yeah, that was really cool. my... That was probably the apex. And I'm so glad again that like Rolling Stone was not the end.
Mighty Quinn, Quinn the Eskimo. Yeah, that was definitely a standout too. Fucking what love a great that song. song. What a great song. It's well, I mean, so it's such much. a the band song. Like I it's know. all funk and all fun and just yeah, that was really that was a treat. I yeah. like that one a lot. So what did you think about closing it with a song that you have never heard before? But Rainy Day Women number twelve and thirty five. Uh, that song's fine. Again, it's a like peak dad jam band. Like everybody it's, must get stoned. I mean. Aside from the cheesiness of that, I don't know. I thought it wasn't. It didn't feel like offensive. No, oh, yeah. that he was just like, Ugh, let's get stuff. Because like, I, I, mean, don't I don't understand. think it's offensive. I just think it's well, lazy. No, no, I don't mean offensive in the sense like my morals have been. Oh, sure. Been I'm shook. I'm clutching my pearls. He's sure. talking about marijuana. Well, I, I mean more like did, though, offensive like in the sense of like how schlocky is it to be like right. oh, <laughs> pot? Yeah, <laughs> kind of the offensive. Stone you before, yeah, you because like. Okay, when I hear everybody must get stoned, they're going to stone you for these things. I see people tied to it. Yeah, being stone pelted with And I, that's the thing. It's right. the two. Okay. Right, so and that's, that's, the whole that's why it's so deep and so interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. That, but marijuana was so linked to the counterculture. It's just, right. You know, you're something different. They're going to stone you. They're going to kill you. <sighs> but everybody must get stoned, but not just we all need to be stoned because we're all counterculture, but we're also, we need to get high shit. You know, it's a double entendre and that's fine. It's whatever. (laughs) Um, But yeah, but I feel like that was one that I, is not as good as the original can't be Uh, the obvious choice. I think to end a festival in 1969, that and like a Rolling Stone were probably the two most predictable enders. And I'm disappointed that it ended that way, but I'm glad it wasn't like a Rolling Stone because I don't think that was a highlight for me. But anytime Bob was just alone with his guitar and playing, you know, like I threw it all away. Wild Mountain Time. Which <gasps> Speaking is of, Oof, so is beautiful. that the song that Jamie sings on Porno? Because it has the same lyrics oh. of "Will you go, lassie, go?" It is. That's and the same song, I think right? It might be. Right. I mean, at least he's aping from that folk song, whatever Jamie was singing. Bob Dylan is is aping from that for sure because they're literally the same words. So if it's not the same song, it is strongly influenced. We've definitely followed songs as their iterations have changed. So sure. Love me. Porno. And Porno comes back next week, like two weeks from now. (laughs) If anyone has any connections to the My Dad Wrote a Porno Crew, if you could put in Jamie's ear that we do a Bob Dylan podcast, that would be cool. (laughs) Yeah. Get us on the footnotes. Get us on the footnotes. Yeah, that was, but uh, the Wild Mountain Time was so beautiful. I could it cry. Is. His voice. Yes. His right. voice when it's just him and that crooner voice. Because people love his voice like this. And, mm-hmm. you know, we've talked about his his friends, Bonnie Beecher, back in Minnesota saying this was what he sounded like when he started. This is peak Bob Dylan. This is Bob Dylan singing like a singer. And we'll all go together to pull Wild Mountain Time. And I love that it's encapsulated on this. I listened to this bootleg way back in the day. This was released on the bootleg series volume 10. Uh, another self-portrait as disc three. So you had to buy actually the deluxe version for it. And it's the full thing on one disc. I was always listening to a bad version. Whatever version I had for years was not as beautiful and as remastered as this version. This sounds so good. Like it's honestly a reason I don't go back and listen to it a a lot more because in my head, it just doesn't sound good. Right. Some of these shows have been really tarnished in my, my head because because of the bootleg quality that I've had for like a decade. I'm like, Oh, this is really disappointing. It is um, that that in man, and of itself beautiful. is a fun little experiment. It's like, what if Bob Dylan put on his good singer voice 
and like w- like what would that sound like if he did like a Rolling Stone but sang like a good singer and I'm like I'm these are heavy Quote, quotes unquote, yeah I good I, I yeah yeah I mean we talked about that obviously we talked about as soon it. as I heard Nashville whole... Skyline voice I was like oh look at him look at him being a good singer yeah like <laughs> so good at like kind of like well he can do this with his own voice in a way but like have yeah that good croony voice that mm-hmm. like really gets into your soul mm-hmm. I fucking love it I think some of the songs which we have not heard aren't as good to to Ramona is better. On another uh, set of Bob Dylan. Well, I would imagine like you can definitely people hear loved it though. The, the little Spanish the guitar influence. Mm-hmm. I bet it goes like full bore. There's probably three fucking guitars on the track. And, no, like, there's not. It's really? Just Bob. Oh yeah, another oh. set of Bob Dylan is all Bob. Just Bob with an acoustic guitar. I do have to say to Ramona instantly. I thought about the song from uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the World, where Ooh. he like makes up. A, he's like, I wrote you a song. Oh, did you? He's like, Yeah, Ramona, Ramona, <laughs> oh my my, Ramona. Okay. <laughs> so I did imagine. Mm. I think it's Beck that actually does all the music oh, for wow. the for the movie. Anyway, that's an aside. But yeah, I could definitely hear the little like Spanish guitar flavor. So I bet yeah. it's probably more technically proficient and maybe a little more elaborate. But it's not. And it's not. Nope. Okay. It's well, just him doing the strummy guitar thing. And I love like all the acoustic songs on this uh, album, bootleg, whatever. Did take me out of the dad jam band cover band mm. vibe. Um, okay, so okay. that was a nice transition. So every time I was like, "Am I at the farmers market?" It would go into an acoustic song. I was like, "Oh, oh, I'm listening to high class." Bob Dylan. Yeah, this okay. is Bob Dylan. <laughs> what did you think of "It Ain't Me, Babe"? So that's the one that you said that was like a big deal song, that's right? A big one. Yeah, that would be a top and I feel like there was people. something there, but it did not grab me. Like that I don't was know, if maybe, it was this version. Or... It was maybe my my least favorite song. Yeah. the whole thing. Yeah, but do you like the the reg- like whatever the album version? Oh yeah, that it's song? one of the best songs uh, okay. ever. And but. It's got such a punchy like message that it needs to be played quickly mm-hmm. and sort of like in your face. And I feel like this one, uh, he just kind of did what he does, which is kind of change it, which is great. But then it sort of languishes a bit. It, mm-hmm. it really stretches it out in a way that like it wasn't as punchy. Well, that's how I feel about the, this version of Rolling Stone. While mm-hmm. I enjoyed it, it, it makes it completely toothless. Yeah. Because you, you, like instead of somebody be like, how does it feel? Like, like you know, how after you kind of think, yeah, it was like, I don't know how it feels. Does anyone care? Let's yeah, get stoned. Let's get stoned. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, and that's fine. That's fine. But yeah, is, yeah. I, I think that's a really great, uh, that's a great point. And the punchiness being lost from the regular ones. Because even I Dream of Saul St. Augustine, what a different song mm-hmm. uh, to, to what we got with the band. Yeah. And I like that they both exist. Mm-hmm. But I, my, if I'm going to pick a favorite, I don't really know. However, I think Maggie's Farm, I really, I, oh, I don't actually care about that song that much. But I, I, liked, I liked the band backing yeah. it. That riff, that little guitar riff, um, I don't know what the flavor settings, whatever's going on in that guitar. It's the same thing from Subterranean Homesick Blues, mm. that like same kind of bam, 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 cascading like, yeah. and then does it on, there's another song on this album, I can't remember what it was, that it's got the same kind of uh, guitar vibe. And I'm yeah. like, what, what, that is so cool. I love that like little careening sound. So Maggie's Farm was, that was definitely like the mover. Yeah. On the, on the whole and that was a great, that was a great to Maggie's Farm because it's an interesting song, but I don't particularly care that much for it. Oh, uh, um, do you know, before I forget, yeah. do you know what's the, who's playing what? Because like, I feel like Art's mm. got to be on the organ, organ. 
Right. But then there's also a piano, and whomever's on the piano is getting uh, it too. So. Yeah, typically it would be Manuel on the piano. Okay. Would be their setup, and then Levon with the drums, or it would be Manuel on the drums if it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Like during the basement tapes, they would, Levon wasn't there for most of it. So it would be Manuel either on piano or drums, depending. Uh, Robbie's definitely the guitar you're hearing. Okay. Um, and then Danko's on the bass. So the, the bass and the guitar are, are done. But who's playing what from there? It sounds like it's an organ and piano at that right. point. So yeah. then you've got Levon on the drums. So okay. I would guess Manuel's on the piano. Because Garth is a really great musician, and I was like, it was interesting to hear him handle Like a Rolling Stone, which is such a ridiculously mm. simple oh, organ yeah, part. Mm-hmm. And he like can't help himself. He's like adding mm-hmm. little fills everywhere. And just like, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Cannot do it. Well, see, that's the knowledge. That comes with knowing... The band, right? Like mm-hmm. you, that might be overlooked, you know, if you're just like casually listening. That's or like, point. If we would have done like, this wow, before this... band month, exactly. So, knowledge is power, yeah. as it they is. say. <laughs> so, a song that we have not listened to, but is also beloved uh, and derided in equal measure, and deservedly so. Lay, lady, lay. Uh, I liked the version. Uh, at Nashville Skyline came out on April 9th, nineteen sixty nine. Uh, this concert was in August. So this was this all the stuff on Nashville Skyline is relatively new. So people were into it. They, they got a cheer, just like Ramona weirdly got a cheer. Yeah. Uh, even though they came out in '64, so five years ago, uh, of all the songs to get a cheer, you know, that Rolling Stone and Ramona, I think, were the biggest cheers of the mm-hmm. night. Like weirdly. So the lyrics are whatever. I like couldn't even hear him after a point. See, he was just like making sound. Uh, there's nothing to be said about the lyrics. Okay, good. Because like, this feels like lay, lady, lay, lay but, across my big brass bed. Yeah, what the is. fuck? Yeah, and so, but the, again, Garth, the organ is amazing. There's really there's points in the the song that it sounds like a theremin almost. It makes this weird mm. spacey sound, which I really into. Uh, and it gave me like a jawbone type of feel, just the way mm. that like mm-hmm. I don't know that right after they go the oh jawbone, it gets into it. It feels very like I don't know. It's another band e song, which I liked. And then I think there was also accordion. There's on, an accordion I, on one of them. I yeah. pity the poor. Uh, I pity the poor immigrant. Yeah. I mean, you got Garth was, I think, our accordionist on for whatever songs had it during mm-hmm. our band month, which you can go listen to at sotwpod.com <laughs> and also in your podcast app. Uh, Super yeah. bummer of a song, but the accordion was cool, and I liked that they did the like classic Spanish, Italian, whatever sound, but on an electric yeah. guitar instead of like a mandolin, which is very fun. Yeah, and also mandolin, a huge... I mean, Levon can play mandolin. I kind of forget if there was like a lot of drums. I mean, Levon could have been on something else, too. You know, it's really hard to tell uh, without really looking at what's going on. But we we did talk about that way back in the day, I Pity the Poor Immigrant. We didn't have a lot to say. We couldn't really wrap our head around it because it is kind of like the biggest bummer of a song on John Wesley Harding. And it's also very confusing of a song. And it's weird that he would play the song in 69, but it almost feels, you know, telling in 2019 to listen Mm. to it. And you're like... It felt really long. It's a long song. It's a long song. <laughs> but, but I think I'm it was glad... only like three minutes and 48. I just think it felt really long. I'm glad the band was on it, is all I can say. Um, and I don't know. I It might be better than the original, because the original is just a bummer. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, the only, I guess the weird missteps, uh, I loved Mount, Wild Mountain Time, but I didn't really care for like Minstrel Boy. Oh, that was awful. Uh, but I get what they were going for. It's like this kind of sing-along, just acoustic, very... And, and that song, that song is... It carries on, and he was playing it during self-portrait. Like this was going to be a part mm. of the Bob Dylan canon. I think we're this is on our list of songs that we I just might wrote someday. Barf, this song sucks. <laughs> and then it goes to that. So honestly, if they ended at Mighty Quinn, we're we're talking greatness. <laughs> but after that, I think it kind of yeah, it just sort of fell off. Any final thoughts? I'm glad I listened to it. It was cool. I, like I said, I, I think that having the 
good singer Bob Dylan voice on some songs that I had heard. Like well, I'd heard Highway 61 too, right? Because oh, we sure, done sure. Highway 61, and that also had that subterranean homesick blues kind of. Uh, but it's not group. better than the original. It's definitely uh, not no, I wouldn't say so. But, Where's the police whistle? But it's just interesting to hear his voice. It is on these songs because um, those are the only ones I really have touchstones to is, you know, like the St. Augustine. I guess like I can that, say, so. I'll say this. The, some of these songs have so many versions. It'll make your head spin. I'm sure. And I was 61 is on everything. It's on real live. It's on, mm. you know, Budokan. It's on everything. I think that our assessment of this is still going to be correct at the end of the show, that these versions are not that bad because the ones that are coming are, significantly worse oh so, really? yeah so i think highway 61 it's a great one that i think we're going to listen to a lot of versions of that and i think we can revisit um the isle of white because like we're like rolling stone we just did episode 87 uh during music video month which just ended last month um we didn't listen to this version we didn't listen to a lot of them because yeah. there's too many of them and i think on some at some point you start to get so lost in like the minutia of how different the songs can well, become. Well, and how interesting and is that? what's the point? To, yeah, like talk about, well, this note was different Yeah, oh, yeah. this song at minute three. Yeah, and we've done it for some, and I think we're going to continue to do that. Some of them are more interesting than others. Um, I don't think Hybrid 61 will be one of them, but I think we'll still, I'll put this on for sure. We'll listen to this when we get that. I would like to listen to these again. I yeah. mean, maybe not the Minstrel Boy song because that song just sucks, period, and I don't think I want to listen to another version but of it. But we might feel differently when we get it. And get we the real one. Yeah. Dive into it. The and real that's the whole one, thing. Whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, and I think because th- it might be on self-portrait. I kind of forget. So. Who knows? But someday. And then we'll look back and say, hmm, Mr. Boy, best song. <laughs> Better than like a Rolling Stone. Yep. The real, the real star of this performance. The real star of the performance. <laughs> yeah, I think for the versions that, in terms of quality, it's a, an amazing mix. It sounds so good. Um, I think it's completely listenable. It doesn't feel like you're back in 1960. A little bit of 69-ness. You know, it's got a little bit of the crackly, you know, it just, it feels old, but the sound quality is so good Mm -mm. that it feels like you can tell it's been remastered, but with care. So this was an official release? No, well, it's part of the Bootleg Series Volume 10. Right, yeah. But like the bonus bonus. So it was just something that they touched up. It wasn't really, this wasn't an official release, no. This wasn't part of... Anything. It's just part, no, of, but I mean, like, part of the time period. But Columbia remastered this and put it out for I mean, you would think purchase. so. Yeah, I mean, whatever version I had was not as good, so right. they certainly took and cleaned okay. it up. Yeah, I mean, they put it on the bootleg series, probably not as as they had. I mean, whatever they had was probably a soundboard recording. Mm-hmm. Whatever I listened to was probably an audience or something like that. Yeah. Um, and this probably has existed for a while. I just didn't... I didn't go back to it because you hear it and you're like, well, at some point you become a collector and you're like, well, I have that performance now. Great. I listened to it. It didn't sound that great, but I'm not going to search out the better version of it because I don't really care. Gotcha. I got to get more. Right. I got to get yeah, different yeah. ones. So I think that's just part of your brain. And then you keep growing up and then you're like, I don't really need it. It doesn't really matter. I don't have time to listen to this. I'm into different music. I'm into more stuff. So Isle of Wight was a classic one that like I was interested in. I knew a little bit about, but I never really listened to because there's too much. There's just too much. So I'm glad to revisit it. I think some of the the songs like Maggie's Farm, Pity the Poor Immigrant, I'll Be Your Baby Tonight are almost surpassed the originals because I love Levon screaming. I love the accordion. June loves the accordion. June does love the accordion, right, Jude? But then some of the worst ones are, you know, It Ain't Me, Babe, that, like, I think it's stretched out to oblivion. I dreamed I saw St. Augustine. I didn't really care for the dirgeness. It was nice to have it as a separate, but whatever, Highway 61 and, like, a Rolling Stone. Just not not great. Uh, Rainy Day was fine, but I think that song is so mediocre that you can't really, you just can't really fuck it up. <laughs> I like that it's unabashedly what Dylan was doing at the moment. Yeah. And I think that it it really, the reason why we're talking about him in 2019, 
not only for a podcast, but I think he'll just he has a resident he has a resonance today because he was doing whatever the fuck he wanted to do. And I think there's something to that as an artist, like doing what you want. People are going to react or not react or whatever, but he was a country fried artist at this point. He was making country records and people were still giving him the benefit of the doubt. And that doubt would be quickly tested to its limits with self-portrait, right? But he commanded still at that time this weight that is so hard to understand. But I respect him for going out there and being like, I'm not just going to pretend that I'm back in 66 doing these fucking yeah, that's, with the band. Like, you could, I got the band. You could, right? And I could just pull up the American flag again and fucking mm-hmm. rock your face off. But I'm not going to. Last time you heard me do like a Rolling Stone, I was being called Judas. And now I'm coming back here to sing a version that just is... Honestly, it's like one of the least best songs on the entire set, which is incredible that somebody could do that. I I just think it's amazing and that there's so many different ways for him to do it. And he's just not afraid to do it. I think that's why Bob Dylan is is still relevant 50 years later. And this performance is well worth uh, seeking out and listening to for sure. Yeah, I agree. And in the end, the champion is, is really us for listening to another great episode of Sign on the Window. This was the supplemental series, volume seven. Yay. You know who else really loved this performance, Kelly? Who? I mean, obviously our legions of fans, but also George Harrison. I mean, as we said, the Beatles the were Beatles. there. George Harrison, uh, quick friends with Bob Dylan. They, they did a lot of stuff. They were, they were uh, you know, tr- Wilburys, Wilburys together. Oh, they didn't know it yet, but they certainly were. And uh, on uh, George Harrison, after the Beatles broke up, his, his first record, uh, All Things Must Pass, his triple album, he made a song called Behind That Locked Door, which was dedicated to Bob Dylan and inspired by the Isle of Wight Festival. Wow. So uh, I think that's a perfect uh, way to leave 1969, travel back to 2019. We're going to go back. We're going to go back, Kate. we got to go back. <laughs> so we'll see you in time, wherever you are. I hope you guys are having a great summer. Stay hydrated. Mm, yes. And if you are looking for a vacation, come to the Northwest. It's beautiful out it's here. It's beautiful. It's beautiful for <laughs> once. For fucking once. <laughs> we'll see you in time. We're getting closer to 100, Kelly. Uh, By the time you listen to this, we might even be at 100. Oh, God. All right, George, take it away. Goodbye. We have to go back, Kate. your general views on the situation of drug taking among teenagers and young people these days i don't have any of those views i wish i did i'd be glad to share them with you but i i think everyone should lead their own life you know